0: Yes. This is the St. Longinus's Baptism Podcast channel. This is listener mailbag number six. So, this particular topic and or question has three sections now on earlier episodes I had said that I was going to um you know uh if if, if if a topic if it was uh three sets of questions or topics um that if it was uh Something that I knew was going to take over an hour to do, I would break it up. With this particular question slash topic, I don't need to break it up. Uh, honestly speaking, the person that gave me this topic, I, I kind of think is going to be disappointed by this episode. Uh, I apologize, but... I have my limitations and I'm not really sure exactly what they're looking for. So the first part of their topic is what examples of successful virtuous uh, clandestine organizations can be used as a practical model for an underground church. Now, (sighs) <sighs> I'm just, I'm going to be as honest as I can. I've, I've covered this, although granite. I, I, I mentioned it kind of in passing and the way my approach is, is kind of scattershot. So, um, perhaps I didn't make it as clear cut as it is. That's, the the answer to this question is very simple. It is what is known in Catholic, uh, Catholic historical circles as the infant church. In other words, the um now, when I say the word Christian, I'm talking about pre Vatican II Catholic Church. That was started in Rome. And it was literally underground. There, there's a reason why. Um, when, when people use the word underground. Then they probably are even unaware. Of how this came to be. Because I read a lot of books. I, I pick up what most people would consider useless information. The. The church that was in Rome that eventually became the seat of the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church was literally underground. It was in the Roman catacombs. For those of you who don't know, the catacombs were situated in Rome, pagan Rome for that matter. Or no, I, I'm sorry, I gotta I gotta back up and correct myself. The catacombs were underground passages underneath of Rome. And because of hostility from the pagan population and hostility from the Roman government, pagan government at large, um, they had to use these underground passages underneath the city. And if you read church history, from what I've read, these passages were extensive. I mean, they were old and they were ancient and they were so old and ancient that not even the Roman government or the local Roman citizenry, we're talking pagan here, even knew like, some of the entrances and exits of the catacombs. It was that old and that ancient. But the the Catholics at that time had no choice, but when they wanted to have church service... Well, the, the catacombs served two purposes. One was so they can worship without worrying about being... uh Persecuted by the the pagan Roman authorities, but also too, because the pagan Roman authorities and their hostile pagan neighbors would not just you know if they if they had a, a regular house in the city of Rome, could not go to their house and just kill them on the spot or torture them for that matter. They they used the the catacombs for that, and. That is where we get the term underground from because they were literally meeting and worshiping and staying underground so they would not be attacked, so they would not be persecuted. Now, obviously, um, the, the persecutions happened anyway, but there, there are some reports in early Catholic history that sometimes they would capture a Catholic, torture him, and say, Hey, tell us where, where your people are. And then they would send the Praetorian Guard or the local constabulary to go and arrest that set of Catholics. But the, um, the, 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 the system was so vast. And I mean absolutely vast. That they could only. um, And by the way. when When it comes to resistance. Movements. This is where you get the term cells. Because. There were different cells within the catacombs. And sometimes. Because it was so vast. These different cells didn't know the existence of the other cells. But. Um, for the most part, in order for the Roman pagan authorities to persecute and execute Christians, um, they had to wait while they were in the city itself rather than in their catacombs. But as I said, traitors, and by the way, for you set of accountants out there. You need to read your church history. Quick, getting all caught up in the Masonic history you're taught. You need to read church history because, in church history, if you read it, then obviously you don't want to be reading the uh, the the Vatican II Catholic larpers. Um, it, throughout our history. We have had traitors to the cause, not just Judas, an apostle, but everyday people who considered themselves true Catholics, who for whatever reason, through torture, intimidation, whatever, um, turned over their brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you are under the delusion that, number one, that, oh, if I get tortured, I'll never break, I'll never break. First of all, it's not up to you, okay? It, it's not on you. Whether you break or you don't break is God's providence. So you need to get that that erroneous thought out of your head, okay? But this, and like I said, this has happened throughout Uh, the true Catholic Church's history. Heck, right now as I speak, we have quote-unquote true Catholics or sedicantists online stabbing each other verbally in the back. In the Catholic Church, it's known as backbiting. These people... Because, because we are who we are as moderates, it's it's not about uh, the message. It's about the personality. Or it's about the position. Which anybody who understands their spiritual life knows, it's not about personalities. It's not about the personalities. It's not about appearances. If a homeless, toothless person crack, or meth addict on the street is preaching, said of a contism, that man has the spirit of God. And the converse is also true. You can have a bishop or a priest preaching either an erroneous or leading a a, uh, less than exemplary life And that does not necessarily make him the best thing since sliced bread. Now, I want to clarify this issue. Because we are flawed human beings and nobody but a saint is perfect in the eyes of God, we should show charity. But what I'm saying is, if you're putting these people on a pedestal and you're making them sacrosanct above question, you are in error just as they are in error. So um, as far as the first question goes, that's your example. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I've mentioned in several episodes tangentially, and for those of you who don't know what tangentially means, in passing, what that means is, is um, or the reason I bring it up is Father Bernard Utley, I mentioned him several times. He is my go-to guy. He said back in 2015, before I was a, even aware, said of a contism. And I I, I I, hadn't started listening to his podcast since last summer. We're talking the summer of 2021. Was He was giving a talk and he said, we can't go back to the 1950s. We can't go back to the 1300s. We are where we are. We were born for this time and for this era, for God's divine providence. And we are no longer the church of pre-Vatican II. We are the church of the catacombs. Now, if you don't understand what that means, and I would highly advise this uh, against this. I'm sorry. I would highly advise against this. Please, for the love of all that's holy, don't look this crap up. On Wikipedia, because those of you who are longtime listeners know that when I first tried to do church history podcasts on this channel, I tried using Wikipedia so that for anybody who was not set of a contest could not accuse me of uh, confirmation bias. I tried using Wikipedia and you know for those of you who may not be aware back about 5 or 6 years ago there were youtubers political youtubers who said don't use wikipedia as a source because because anybody and they're right anybody can can put their own spin in an article and because there's nobody backing up their facts Or the people that are running Wikipedia might, you know, either out of ignorance or out of out and out malice, may allow them to post outright falsehoods because, hey, you know, the ends justify the means. Read traditional Catholic history. There are several books out there. And for those of you who are interested my my telegram uh address is listed not just in the, the the podcast notes not the show notes but my podcast notes but it's also listed in a couple of uh, episodes so if you want to know what example of the underground church should be um use use the uh, Church of the Catacombs as your baseline. The second question or topic was unequivocal historical conspiracies that can be compared with the powers that be. What the person was asking me was, is I always talk about the Masons because they are the powers that be. No question, you know, I mean, now, if you don't want to do the research and want to write this off, that's fine. That's on you. And by the way, um, masonry is so deep and shadowy that we're not going to be able to get, at least in this lifetime, a hundred percent information on everything. But there are materials enough out there that if you read them with an open mind, a lot of things that don't seem to make sense are going to. And as I never get tired of saying, and I've covered this, the Masons went public. The Masons went public in the 1700s. They formed public lodges in England one in York, England and one in Edinburgh I think it was Edinburgh, Scotland and that's why you've got uh, at least in older masonry you had two divisions you had the York Right, which was English and you had the Scottish Right, which was Scottish but in his book um Monsignor, Monsignor Dillon talks about how around the time of the Reformation, there was a individual named Adam Weisskopf, and he was advisor, because you got to remember at when, when the, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call it the Reformation. I meant to call it the the Protestant Revolt, um, at the time of the Protestant Revolt, Germany is not the Germany that we understand it. Germany was a bunch of little principalities that were run by their local princes. And when the Reformation happened, if I'm not mistaken, you'd have to read the book. I've read the book probably about a month ago, but I've got so much going on, I can't remember um, infallibly. But in Around the time of the Reformation, Adam Weiszkoff was, if I'm not mistaken, some sort of uh, professor or something, working for a Protestant prince in Germany, and he formed he he laid out the goals of how to undermine the Vatican. I'm sorry. The, he he outlined the goals of how to destroy the Catholic Church, and the thing of it is, is um, my understanding, and you would have to read the book to be infallibly certain. My understanding is is that Weisskopf wasn't even a Protestant. He wasn't a he. He was. He was a uh, what what our uh, set of ecstatic priests and bishops call a naturalist. He he you know he he didn't he believed in the religion of man, not in a super supernatural religion. And he was not a a, a mason He actually called his group the Illuminati. And basically the Illuminati uh, is code for the Enlightened Ones. In other words, they viewed anyone who viewed religion supernaturally as ignorant, ignoramuses who, who didn't have true knowledge and they were only fit to be slaves for the Enlightened Ones. Now before Adam Weisskopf in the 1500s, there was an organization, because back in the medieval era, you had guilds. And basically what a guild was, was a group of craftsmen. So you would have a bookmaker's guild. You would have a brewmaster's guild. You would have a... um. An architect's guild. Well, no, that's actually the masons. Um, but they they were broken up into guilds, and the stonemasons, which is where masonry gets its name, were were um were formed because if you if you've ever had uh, if you've ever had the chance to see a picture not even go there and witness it yourself, but a picture of like the, the cathedrals from the medieval era. These are monuments of human craftsmanship that has not been equaled since. And The purpose of a guild was, especially the stonemason's guild, because it wasn't just the cutting of the stones, the making of the statues. It also had to do with the building of buildings. And these were highly prized secrets. And so that individuals, unlike today, could not learn something from their guild and then go on to business for themselves, and undercut those guys, there were guilds. And if you did anything what like what I just mentioned, if you entered a guild and you learned their secrets, and then you formed your own business and tried to undercut them, not only did you face social uh, rejection, but you were subject to religious laws that were written specifically to protect the guilds. But every guild had its particular, you know, bookmakers had their secrets, brewmasters had their secrets, and blah, blah, blah. Now, the reason I went into that detail was in his book, Monsignor Dillon, and by the way, if you're not sure which book I'm talking about, just peruse the show notes for many of my shows on masonry. There's two or three where I mentioned the book that I'm talking about. He mentions that like around the 1300s, the stonemasons were legitimate organizations. But some sometime around the 1400s, naturalists infiltrated the stonemasons and used the stonemasons as a cover for their naturalistic religious um, ideas. In other words, they took the God out of religion and made it about man. Now, because it was still the 1400s, The Protestant Revolt hadn't happened yet. They had to keep their heads down. Because, you know, if they ran around and announced in the 1400s, Oh, by the way, no, this is supernatural stuff. Nah, nah, this, you know, this is garbage. Man is the center of the universe. Your existence on earth is your only end goal. And that's it. Um, not only would the church authorities uh, have come down with the Spanish Inquisition and dealt with them, but their, their neighbors would have dealt with them too. So they had to keep their heads low. And, but between the 1400s and the 1700s, these guys in their own right were an, a subversive underground organization. And they were basic, they, they took the name of Masons. And then when they went public in England in the 1700s, their official title was Free Masons. So that's that and then the third part or the third topic was examples of the way tyrannies I mean the, the person when he says tyrannies he's talking about tyrannical governments due to people who won't toe the line now, Once again, this is something I can't really get into autistic detail about because <laughs> we have modern day examples of what, you know, governments like Cuba, China, Vietnam do to their dissidents. Um, and even before the advent of communistic governments or fascistic governments, you had the French Revolution Um, and you had, uh, the examples from when the Protestants, when they formed their little enclaves in Europe, what they would do to the Catholics within their enclave. And then going beyond even before then, when the pagan Romans were persecuting the Catholics, they had their own spin. But he wanted me to give examples to try to wake people out of their stupor. So I'm just going to give a, a small list. And, you know, quite frankly, people, you need to read. I know reading is a chore for some people, but I I, I literally don't have the time or the resources to 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 give you um, every information that you need and before the before the schools got state run the model of teaching was was that your teacher gave you the prime the prime factors within an idea or a subject and then when, when you got out of your class or whatever, it was up to you to go home and do further research. And libraries have existed since, uh, even before the time of Christ. Um, it, you, if you didn't have the materials at home, you're supposed to go to the library and look it up. But I will give a few examples. So in the Roman era, by the way, I covered this, Okay, so, um, and by the way, the Roman, the pagan Romans, actually, the pagans in general uh, were pretty inventive in their brutality. And then everything that came after paganism was just a pale imitation of what the pagans had actually done. But in... In, in in pagan Rome, in particular, there was known what was known as a gridiron. And basically, a gridiron were two iron plates six feet by six feet, heated till they were red hot, and then the victim was placed on one of the grid uh, one of the, the, the iron plates, and the other iron plate was placed. On him in the front. So you're literally being squashed between two red hot plates of iron. They also fed, um, you know, um, not, just, not just the Catholics, but condemned criminals, guys who wouldn't toe the line, uh, losing gladiators to wild beasts. And that could be anything from a lion to a leopard to a bear. Whatever wild animal that liked to eat humans was out there, they would starve them and then toss the condemned people into an arena where people would watch. And the preceding mayhem entertained the Roman masses. They were well known for taking what was known as a poker, which is just a sharpened stake, but it was metal. And heating it up till it was red hot and shoving it up a victim's backsides. And obviously that's going to kill you. And if it doesn't kill you, most people would wish that they were dead. Um... They were known to take, oh, well, there's crucifixion. I mean, how can you people be unaware of crucifixion? Well, I know how this is possible because a lot of people aren't spiritually inclined. The spiritual writers talk about the brutality of Jesus' crucifixion. Now, a lot of people, out of ignorance, think that it only happened to Jesus. No, as far as the Roman authorities in Judea were concerned, Jesus was a rabble rouser. He was just a a rebel against the Roman cause. So what happened to Jesus was, I'm not going to say average because, uh, without getting too deep in the spiritual weeds, Jesus suffered a particularly brutal form of it because he was taking on the sins of all of mankind from Adam on to whenever the world ends. And so his his crucifixion had a particularly brutal twist to it. But in average, crucifixion was how the Roman, I'm sorry, was how the Romans dealt with their condemned criminals. And so on average, what they would do was is they would scourge the person. and like I said, on average, it depended on whoever the judge was in the case, how they got punished. But crucifixion was the end result. But on average, they would scourge, in other words, whip their victims. And then they would march them to the place of execution where the crucifix was. And they would nail them to the cross until they died. And the way you died was, um, some people, depends on your constitution, some people would die of blood loss. But for those people who were particularly hearty in constitution, how they died was, was basically because you're hanging by your hands and your feet, um, you basically end up not being able to breathe because of the way you're positioned. So, Crucifixion was how they dealt with their rebels. And like I said, Pilate had no idea when he condemned Jesus to death that Jesus was anything other than just some Jewish rabble-rouser who was making the uh, religious authorities angry. But it is written that when Jesus... He, when he said to Jesus, he says, don't you know I have the power of life and death over you? And Jesus told him, I believe this is in the gospel according to St. John, you have no power than what my Father in heaven gives you. Do you not know that if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels to free me and that my followers here on earth would free me? Unless this was ordained by God. Now, a legion at that time was a unit of a thousand soldiers. So we're talking 12,000 angels plus uh, Jesus' earthly followers. And it is mentioned in the spiritual books that this actually made Pilate very, very nervous because he was a pagan. And so, because he was pagan, it's kind of like the situation we're in today. Anything could be a God. And this guy is saying with complete and utter conviction, I can send 12,000 spirits into Jerusalem and level this place if this was not meant to be. And because he was pagan, he took that, I mean, it, it it put the literally put the fear of God in him, but ultimately he did what the Jewish authorities wanted him to do because he was more scared about them than as far as he knew the threats of a unknown uh human being that was considered a rabble rouser. And I'm not done yet. (laughs) The Romans and there are paintings of this particular uh, torture. All people being tied to crosses, not tied, mind you, not crucified, dipped or covered in tar and then lit on fire. And this was obviously done at night. And this was Oh by the way everything I'm talking about except for the crucifixion was generally done in what was known as the amphitheater and it was done for the amusement of the pagan romans and people I mean yes the pagans of today are every bit as brutal as they were back in roman era but We've been given a false morality that, oh, that's too brutal. We can't do that. But we'll do this other thing, and that's okay. Anyway, so that was some of the Roman tortures. In the Protestant revolt, well, actually in the medieval era, and a lot of people get this twisted. They blame, like, I'm sure you've heard of the Iron Maiden and the thumb screws and the rack. Uh, these, in particular, they, it gets blamed on the, um, the Spanish Inquisition. In actuality, the Spanish Inquisition, on average, I'm not saying they didn't torture, but on average, they didn't torture. These tortures were invented by the secular kingdoms, princes, kings, or whatever. So with the thumb screw, they put a wooden device over your thumb, and the screw fits over your knuckle, your thumb knuckle, and they just turn the screw until it crushes your knuckle. For the rack, you're tied to a movable rack, And then they turned the wheel, and one end goes one way, and the other end goes the other way, and you're basically ripped apart. The Iron Maiden was a box, and the reason it was called an Iron Maiden was the box was in the form of a female. But inside of this box was a bunch of iron spikes. And they would put you, the front and the back, because it opened up. It was a literal box. And the lid had had uh, spikes, and then the um, um, the bottom had spikes, and they would put you at the bottom of the box and then they would shut the lid and you would basically be impaled a bunch on a bunch of spikes. For the French Revolution, the only, well, what they're known for was, was the guillotine. Now, for those of you who aren't aware and why anybody wouldn't be aware of this, I don't know. A guillotine was they shoved your head in a, um, like a stock. And there was a sharp blade at the top. And you pull a cord And the blade would fall down and chop off your head. That's what they were known for. Um, And as far as like the Nazis and and the commies go. They would gouge out eyes. They would uh, amputate limbs. They would perform medical experiments on a victim without anesthesia. And... To those who have not heard about this, Joseph Mangla, and I don't know this infallibly, but it is, it is said that he used to take brown-eyed people and would try to... Oh, no, not try. He injected with a needle in their eye a blue dye to try to make their eyes blue. That That is the story. We, you know, I, I don't know infallibly that it's true, but um, even if it isn't true, I'm sure somebody somewhere tried something like that. There was electroshock torture, where you take electron uh, electronic probes and you stuck them on a person's private parts, and then you cranked up the electricity so that they were getting a bunch of electricity through their private parts. There was starvation. There was working a person to death. Anybody who's read the book, The Gulag Archipelago, in that the author talks about how the the political prisoners were ordered to cut wood with saws that were purposely dulled and given Impossible quotas to meet With these broken tools And they were literally broken tools And if they didn't meet Their impossible quotas It depended on the whim of the guard Whether they lived or died But if they were allowed to live What would happen is The average ration in a Soviet gulag Was literally water with rotten vegetables in it and they, you know, it wasn't, most, most of the victims of the, the gulags were victims of starvation. And by the way, when you're starving and somebody tortures you, that'll kill you too. Because you don't have the, str- the physical strength to resist the pain that you're under. Anyway, they would take these meager rations and it depended on whoever the com- commandant was. Sometimes if the guy was not a complete a-hole, he would give them two bowls of this watery stuff. But some of the more sadistic ones gave them one bowl a day. And if they couldn't meet their quotas, they'd say, well, hey, comrade, you know that one bowl of the watery garbage we give you? We're cutting that in half. Um... Uh, Eardrums were were punctured People were binded Had their teeth pulled out Um, Their tongues ripped out of their mouths Although I got to admit That's not a particularly modern thing That had been going on for millennia But this should give you an idea of what to expect When the powers that be as my writer calls them take over now um in a previous episode when the great reset happens because this 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 new world that they're trying to to make is, uh, I want to explain this as best as I can, it's going to have a set of rules that the oligarchy sets. But in the world, there will be territories set up under one of the bodies of the oligarchy. And he, in, in, in the Great Reset paperwork that came out in 2018, it basically called the Great Reset the new, the new Feudalism. And as I've tried to explain in the past, you know, feudalism gets a bad name because of... Uh, it gets a bad name because modernists try to make it out that the local feudal lord was a, a despot and a tyrant and he basically used and abused his peasants any way he wants to. In previous episodes, I pointed out that that is a fallacy. I mean, I'm not saying that there weren't individual feudal lords who weren't brutal a-holes, but for the most part, your feudal lord was answerable to his local bishop. So he couldn't go too far in his brutality. Well, guess what? If this new feudalism under Klaus Schwab's Great Reset happens, you have no... You have no true Catholic Church to keep these people. You will literally, what they call, you know, the the brutality of the local feudal lord doing what he wants, you're literally going to get that. Okay? So, my main point in bringing this up is depending on whoever the local uh feudal lord is and i'm only using that as a catch-all whoever the local feudal lord is who's controlling the local territory is and depending on the people and the culture and the society that they're working within and their own you know and i'm assuming that a lot of these people are going to be you know like let's say in some province in china the local feudal lord, he's going to be Chinese and, you know, all that. But depending on his culture and his society, whatever happens at that level is going to be of a local, uh, uh, the, the local flavor. I really honestly don't know how to make it any helpful than that. So... But that, but the world as a whole is going to be run by this oligarchy, and they're going to be following the broad objection. I'm sorry, not objections. Although it is objectionable, their local. Obje, uh, I'm sorry, not their local. Their their objective objectives and their goals. But they're basically going to put their cronies over certain sections and allow them to run it the way they want to. So, you know, 45 minutes in, so that's... Yeah, that's pretty much 15 minutes for each. So I wasn't far wrong. To my listener who gave me these topics, I hope you're not disappointed. Um, Honestly speaking... I've covered this ground now. Granted, I didn't do it all in one episode. I, as far as I know, I didn't. But I, I hope you're not too disappointed. So I want to thank you all for listening. Like I said, I don't care if you think I'm crazy or whatever. You know, if you gave me your time and listened to this, I appreciate it. I honestly do. And I don't care um, if you um, agree or disagree. If you listen, I'm grateful for that. And I hope and I prayed. I'm sorry, I hope and I pray that somebody gets something out of this. Because just on a natural level, I mean, you don't need to be some sort of mystic or saint. To see the end result of what's going to happen here, you don't. You, you, I saw it on a natural level before I got serious about my Catholicism. But I hope you got something out of this. I'm praying for you all, and you take that for what it's worth, and I mean it. And for those of you, um. I'm praying, I'm hoping and I'm praying that as many people get to heaven as possible. You take that for what it's worth. In any regard, thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.